Hello and welcome to the unofficial unsanctioned women's UCI cycling show. My name is Dan and uh, with me as always is my dear friend and uh, constant companion in cycling life, Sarah. Hello Sarah, how are you? I'm all good. All good, that's pretty cool. I'm really excited about today's show, Sarah, because we have one of my cycling heroes on to talk with us about all things to do with women's cycling. Yes, we've got Monique Hanley. She's on the executive board of Cycling Victoria and she's a chair of the Cycling Australia Women's Commission, among lots of other roles. And we're really excited. Hello, Monique. Hello. Thanks for having me. I was wondering, Dan, who your hero was. I thought, oh, <laughs> I've been bumped. <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, you're actually like, I, I do mean that very genuinely, genuinely Monique, because um well, like, the, the simplest way I can explain it is I'm just a dude on the internet who complains a lot and swears even more, whereas you're someone who actually does stuff about things. So. I, I still complain and swear, but, yeah, I, I do, do try and get some... Um, use, my, use the opportunity I have to influence some change. Get some, get some results, get some things happening, um, yeah. which is really exciting. And I've, I've been really impressed at some of the, the things that... Um, you know, particularly Cycling Victoria seems to me to be right at the forefront of leading change, particularly from the administrative side in terms of, you know, the things you've done this year in ensuring equal prize money for women's races, um, getting uh, quotas established for board representation and things like that. Um, can you tell us more about the, the processes behind getting those things sort of in place? And Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, no problems. It's, I guess, one thing, like, they are fantastic achievements and we're very proud of the, of the progression that we've made. Um, but it's, I think it's important to also th uh, look that it's, realise that it's not uh, an overnight thing. So we started really committing to changing our approach for women back in 2011. And I guess from that perspective, it's been a three-year process. So I sort of... I sort of joined the board at the end of 2010 and, and one of my commitments, uh, my pledges in, in, uh, in joining the board was to cease, uh, see at least five events with equal prize money. And I laugh at that now, like five. How, <laughs> how appalling. Why didn't if, I shoot high? If, if, if only you'd been able to stop yourself at five, it would have been much easier. <laughs> But it was it was also because the culture even even only three years ago the culture was not did not consider this to be something that was that was achievable. So so only aiming so small was also reflective of the challenge ahead. Mm. So that first year we ended up with about ten or eleven events, um, not just our own events but also other clubs and promoters uh, coming on board, which was fantastic. Mm. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, and then last year we committed just blanket every event we ran uh, had equal prize money. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, we realised if we want to change the culture, we need to lead yeah. um, and, and set the example. So it was really important that we committed to it not only in policy but also um, by, yeah, by the way we walk, not yeah. just the talk. Yeah. But I think that's one of the amazing things, though. Like you say, back when you started, you know, the, the talk was just, you know, okay, let's just say five events because no one believed it was really achievable. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, in your first year, you, you hit more than double that, uh, which I think is actually one of those really interesting and probably quite important things is that quite often when when you discuss uh women's cycling issues with people and and i see this a bit with you know things that we talk about on on our site and um over at podium cafe and stuff like that there's there's always people coming back and going oh well, yeah but you can't because it would, it would never work you know you can't find sponsors and and, mm. and it just won't happen and people won't support it and the truth is actually almost maybe not completely the opposite but it's actually very different to that assumption and i think that's a really clear point to that you know that that should be discussed more often is that when people say you can't change it that is an assumption based on nothing you know yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it's um it's been it's been you have to also remember and be and you're always reminded of the culture of the sport it's always been um I and mean, I'm not saying it in a bad way but it's just fact it's always been run by men and it's always been a sport delivered for men um, that is the culture. That's that's the reality. So in working with that, you just have to pause each time and go, hang on, are we thinking about everyone here? Are we thinking about the whole sport? And when you start 
doing that and that becomes habit, you start mm-hmm. to unpiece a lot of the uh, embedded cultural mm-hmm. um, practices that, that don't necessarily have to be there and that have in some ways prevented more women getting involved. So, it's, But that's also been the important cultural change is that we now sort of challenge things and, it's, and I'm excited when I go to meetings now, it's not me, the one in the corner, you know, protesting and burning my bra um it's yeah it's, How, did, it did you actually be... run out of bras at any sorry that's an inappropriate question i apologize oh uh, well we can we can discuss was... it more if you like but um but these days it's it's not me that's that's raising hang on you know is this is this gonna is this gonna work for the women hmm. so that's that's really cool we've started we've unlocked that process where people are seeing the bigger picture now and that's that's really important and and i think um yeah, so I don't. We probably don't give enough credit for that, but that's yeah. It's not. It's not just me now, and that's that's what's mm. really cool. Mm. It's it's mm. other people. It's other men. Um, it's it's everyone who's passionate about cycling and and thinking about the bigger picture and the importance of the bigger picture for everyone. And I, I really, I think I first came across your work through some of the Cycling Victoria um, guidance that you're putting out that you put on the internet for anyone to use. Yep. And it's really cool seeing that retweeted by people in the UK and the USA because it feels yep. like you're not just working for your local community, you're working for everyone's community in a way. Yeah, yeah. And we've always had that approach, um, which is also a really good attitude to have. I think we've been fortunate enough to be in a position where we can lead um, change for our state. And um, and I guess that was, we, we weren't thinking world, but we were thinking, we we're definitely thinking <laughs> national. And we've always made it very open for other states and territories to approach us for um, anything that we've done. So in, uh, we've had some funding submissions that have supported our work and we've, we, we supply those copies of those submissions to other states and territories so they can approach their, their respective governments. Um, so we've always been open. We want to see it's not just um, positive change for Victoria. We want to see it everywhere. So it's really exciting when it gets international attention. Um, that wasn't that wasn't the focus, but that's that's a really cool thing to see happen. Mm. Well, I think it's I think it's one of those things that is really interesting because, in my view, it speaks to. Um, you know, I think one of the more interesting things in women's cycling in general at the moment is that um, wider society has almost outpaced um, cycling in terms of the, the audience, the end user, the, the participant at grassroots level and the viewer of elite events is hungry for the sort of cultural change and institutional change that you're trying to, to drive through. Um, and so it, it was really interesting seeing the, I can't remember the proper name of it, but the document was basically how to make your club friendly for women. Um, you know, go all over the place and people will be like, yes, finally, here, here do this. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's not overwhelming change with, with that. The document was called the Toolkit for Clubs Attracting and Retaining Women. And actually, Sarah, we, um, we were heavily influenced by some of the work of one of your UK organisations, which I can't remember what it spells, but I know the um, the acronym's WSFF. <laughs> but they they had some great research that were, was the preliminary basis for that document. So so we don't. It's not just all us coming up with it. We mm. we're happy to steal and be influenced by others too. But the, yeah, the key the key essence for that document is um, make sure your website your entry point is good and welcoming because women. Um, joining a club is a big barrier. It's a big psychological thing. So um, the first thing anyone does, and in particular women, is that they'll stalk you online. They'll go home and Google you late at night. And <laughs> if you don't have a good presentation from your web, then then you've lost them and you don't even know that you that you had them in the first place. So um, that's that's one of those things that people aren't really aware of. They put up their local racing, which is you know, a bunch of 40, 50-plus-year-old men with, um, you know, sweaty, grimacing faces. And, yeah, it does reflect their, their their local races, which is fantastic, but it's not the best advert for getting women and families involved. So, right, so you're so saying just thinking about, you know... Remove, remove large panoramic photos of sweaty men with beer bellies um, from the homepage. 
Well, you can have them, but at least have some photos of a few people sitting around drinking coffee and laughing or, um, <laughs> you know, even if you've only got one female member and we still have clubs with that sort of profile, but make sure that that, that, that female is smiling and happy. And <laughs> page. Even if she's not in real life, just just do it for the club. <laughs> but you see, see what I liked about what I really liked about that document was you was you making the point in it that it's not just about getting more women. Yeah, you know, these aren't tips just for getting more women involved. They're more yeah. tips for getting anyone involved. Mm. You know, I remember Dan talking about trying to go on a trying to join a local club ride in Sydney, and you were saying that you'd emailed someone. To, you know, you had to email in advance to go. And you emailed someone, and you never got a response, yeah. so you never went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. So, and that's really important too. So, we've provided a lot of guidance on uh, the roles of welcome officers as a as a club role, and how to set it up, and how you should, you know. And yeah, the number one key is make sure the email works, and make sure someone's replying <laughs> to to the email queries that you get. It's the little but, things. <laughs> yeah, it it is, but it's but it is really important. And mm. the clubs that do make an effort in that space see really see the results. And we monitor we monitor all our uh, membership um, mainly because I don't want to be doing all this energy, ex- ex- expending all this energy and not seeing any results. So it's important to always monitor to see if what we're doing is is working and. Yes. At our half-year review, we noticed a very distinct change in the clubs that are growing are the ones who have also put the most amount of energy into working on their women's side. So if you make your club friendly for women, you make it friendly for everyone. So mm. they're getting they're getting women, but they're getting more families and more men. Everyone's coming. Yeah, so. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really key point. Like you said, you know, a welcoming attitude and a, a welcoming presence welcomes everyone and and that grows and it's also the nature of people too that the second you know if i if i were in the market and wanted a new club home and found somewhere i thought was great who am i going to tell but all my friends in the area (laughs) and and, you know and and if if they're friendly to women then i'll be telling all my my women friends too hey you know this is a good place to come along um, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, just out of curiosity, because you've got so many things going on, um, with, you know, Victoria and, and, um, Cycling Australia, is there any sort of one initiative or particular achievement, I guess, in the last year or so that stands out for you as like, that's the, that's the thing that, you know, has made the biggest change and I'm most proud of? Oh, um, it's hard to locate one, but I think having... Establishing a policy for equal prize money. So any state-level event in Victoria must provide equal prize money now. And we have guidelines for the first time ever for, for clubs and smaller event promoters to do the same. Um, and we also, we also go above our, um, our reach, if you like. So we've, we've got guidance for major international events as well, which, um, which we won't see won't see change this year but hopefully in the future with the return of the Herald Sun tour so mm-hmm. unfortunately we won't see a women's Herald Sun tour this year um, but um, we're hoping that now that we've got the policy in place um, we can use that to heavily influence change at that level in the future so that yeah. that's probably the biggest the biggest thing if there was one because this the symbolic nature of that Mm. of that statement that where this sport is here for everyone and we want to treat everyone equally and if you are first on the podium then you deserve just as much reward and recognition as anyone else who finishes first in their category mm. cool yeah and you've got i mean you've got so many there's so much that is exciting about australians australian women's cycling i mean things like the your your madison your national madison championships and you know the first national cyclocross championships they're all victorian aren't they Yes, yeah. in Victoria. Yeah, I can't take credit for all of that, but yeah, definitely Victoria um, has been has has been fortunate to have the opportunity to lead a lot of the cyclocross development, and we've got a brilliant little club, not so little anymore. They're they're quite friendly, um, Brunswick, who have a subcommittee called Dirty Deeds, who really started the cyclocross. <laughs> So what a great name, though. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, they are, and they're they're really great operators. So we've um, and we've supported them with running women's skills clinics. So their women's participation this year is, mm. I don't know, 
quadrupled or something. There's, they're, they've really turned the corner there. Um, and they're, yeah, so they've, they've sort of led the way, got the culture happening in Melbourne, which has then supported the push that when we, Cycling Victoria, was able to step in and provide state and now national championships and, and lobby for that national championships to be accredited and fully sanctioned. Mm. Um, the Australian the Australian Women's Madison Championships is also um, a really proud achievement by Victoria. That's that process started a couple of years ago, and it was just a simple conversation um, that I had, which was in essence of, "Hang on, if we're here for women, we can't host an event. We always host the men's Madison." Um, mm. And I, I just said, "We can't." We can't sit here and host and do this big hoo-ha for the men's Madison and not have a women's Madison. We need to change this. And that sort of started the ball rolling. And, uh, and we, yeah, we eventually uh, got enough pressure on to agree, to get agreement with Cycling Australia to put on a, um, a trial event last year uh, in partnership with the men's Madison, which happened. And now this year, because of the success of that event, um, it's now fully sanctioned national title, which is which is great. But it's not just there's been a lot of people that have have pushed for that, so it's not just me. Um, but one of the most significant factors has been the riders fully embracing it and mm. being keen. Mm. That's that's I mean you can you can push for things and push for change, but the riders still need to want to do it. And to have so many teams lining up for the women's Madison is is really, really exciting. And that's awesome. Um, just, I, I have a, I, I guess, switching gears slightly, a little bit more of a, um, I guess, technical or slightly higher view question. Um, in relation to what the role of, um, you know, particularly uh, with, with your position in Cycling Australia, you know, what does a, a committee or, or thing, commission like the Women's Commission do day to day? Like, what's their involvement with Cycling Australia and, and how does that work from a process point of view? Are you a, a basically an internal lobby group? Are you a subcommittee? Like, wh- what exactly is it? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a good question because commissions <laughs> commissions are a cycling term. That, um, you know, you don't see them in business or organisational structures, mm. but they are essentially a subcommittee of the board. Um, that's that's the best way to determine in Australia anyway. And and the UCI uh, commissions operate in a very similar manner. So typically, you have a board representative on your subcommittee or commission, and mm-hmm. um, so the Women's Commission at Australian level has that as well. And our terms of reference are uh, basically to provide advice to the board on matters relating to women. Um, so that might be policy or projects or programs or initiatives. Um, we also have scope to develop our own projects, programs or initiatives. Um, so one of the things that we're working on at the moment is uh, a strategy for uh, women's road cycling, which is uh, which will encompass grassroots participation right through to strengthening the depth of our top end riders and um, and I guess the other the other area that we have um, responsibility for is is monitoring progress and change um, so uh, which is also an important important thing to have you've got, mm. you've got to be able to know that what you're doing is working yeah so that's that's a broad scope we've got a we we did a big brainstorm early this year that um, a women's commission had been set up before. I don't. I don't actually know when that was, but it was dismantled. And so this year, um, there was no. When we set when this was set up again, there was no guidance on how it should operate. Um, there's no bylaws, for example, referencing how how the commission should work. So we really had a clean slate to cool. to really set what we wanted and and sort of the. The, the powers, if you like, to influence things. Mm, mm. Um, so I hope you wrote in that you just had immediate powers to change whatever you wanted and you could appropriate <laughs> funds from any other part of the sport that you felt was necessary. Uh, oh. or, or did you... a, commi- a commissioner's mansion, I like to think. You know, I like to think of Monique like, driving around in some giant limo. Yeah, in a, a gold-plated you know, Rolls-Royce. A jet. <laughs> Yes, no. Well, our terms of reference, we have no ability to influence financial decisions um, or or have ability to make financial decisions. Well, you know, that protects them from people like me being on commissions. But, you know, I trust you. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Um... <laughs> 
I, I think I just heard a, a shopping list rattle off in your mind. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, I think I think change could happen a bit quicker if those powers were enacted, but yeah. that's that's my personal opinion. But that's okay. <laughs> Um, so my one of my things, and it sounds quite boring, but I wanted to make sure that that policy was included in mm. in the work that we do, uh, just just from the basis of Victoria's experience, because we've got three years of experience in Victoria, so um, we can translate a lot of those lessons and learnings um, and hit the ground running with Cycling Australia. Yeah. So we've already had Cycling Australia adopt a diversity policy, which is an important organisational um, statement that that basically says we welcome anyone and where there are inequities, we will do our best to address those. Yeah. Uh, so that, yeah. that gives, that's an important statement that says, yeah, we're here. So that reinforces the work of the Women's Commission but yeah. also yeah. allows the organisation to make exceptions when there are imbalances um, mm. in gender. So, Absolutely. for example... Yeah, um, it's really important. I've been going on on about this a little bit, but uh, our national coaches are very underrepresented in women. So there's an opportunity, and it's it may happen in the future. I don't know. That's it's not a decision for me to make, but I can certainly make the suggestion that perhaps there's an opportunity for the coaching program to put some more effort into getting women coaches stepping up into more national roles um, mm-hmm. ahead of ahead of perhaps male candidates so there's the opportunity for positive discrimination there now yeah yeah well I, I saw i think it was your interview with the the raw uh website where you were saying i think is it one of 20 national coaches is a woman yep. and yes. only two or three of 26 national selectors are women yep yeah yeah so, I mean, and those are obvious sort of things um, that I think, you know, sometimes I get people asking, you know, why, what's the point of policy change or, you know, why, why should um, uh, an administrative body like Cycling Oz or the UCI or whoever have the right to dictate policy changes like that? But I think the numbers actually make a pretty clear case for why. But further to that, the impact that you see in organisations that do adopt those sort of diversity policies... Um, you know, resoundingly perform better. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's the kind of weird thing, though. I mean, I mean, we, I've had a bit of an ongoing rant about like how white professional cycle sport is relative to the, you know, relative to Europe. You know, especially mm. in Britain, relative to other sports in Britain, like you know, athletics and stuff like you know, distance running and stuff like that. And you mm. think, yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of in business, you want diverse diverse groups because you perform better you know if everyone has the same idea and the same background ground around the table they're obviously going to be missing out it's yeah. it seems like a no-brainer you yeah. know wide and everything <laughs> yeah 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 mm. and so how how did you i mean how did you get did you just you wake up one morning and go you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna get involved in in in, in politics in in sports politics oh. how did that happen how did it all come about yeah, essentially a bit like that. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I was pregnant uh, in 2010 with my daughter and I'd go out riding with a bunch of uh, good friends and we'd come back afterwards and we'd sit around and, you know, I, I wasn't racing at the time but, um, you know, my friends would, were still racing going, you know, oh my God, they, you know, this happened and that happened and it was all this sort of, you know, embedded sexism in the racing and the poor recognition you know, they're not even the opportunity for women to get on podiums when the when, but we all sit around and clap hard for the men. So uh, stuff like that. Um, and I, it just sort of, um, it was just infuriating to hear that it was still happening. And I looked around, look around our group and go, well, someone needs to step up and start making some changes. And I realised that, <laughs> that the only one with planned time off on the bike coming up was me. So I thought, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a go. I'm gonna have a go and uh, see see what I can do. And I, and I went in and I just and I and I just focused just on the women's aspect and, um, yeah, just committed to that. I didn't do any lobbying for votes. I just put it out there. And I thought if people want to see change, then perhaps they might vote for me. And uh, fortunately, I had enough support and and was voted in, which was great. And it all started <laughs> from there. 
<laughs> so we, we've got no so one to blame but ourselves. So, <laughs> <laughs> so if there are like people who are like don't know don't know how to start themselves, um, you know, who are kind of uh, you know racing or involved in clubs, what what advice would you give? There's, they, you know, if they're thinking about stepping up. Yeah, look, the, the, as Dan mentioned earlier, there are always plenty of opportunities today to complain. Um, but it's not always obvious to for the opportunities to on how to make a difference. Um, but there are, and and volu- sport is still very much a volunteer sport. So uh, that's the first thing you need to realise that it's there's not it's not a paid gig, but it's a it's a gig <laughs> of passion and it's a gig where you can really influence change. And the best place, the the starting point, if if you know you you just want to put a cautious foot forward and you don't want to commit too much time, is to join a commission. And you can do that in you can do that in any country, and um, and you can even apply to join a commission on the UCI as long as you're a member of the UCI. Um, there's there's no no other requirements essentially. Um, so you just just need to get that oh. put your hand up. Yes, oh, Dan, you, I can- you too can can be a part of change. I'm going to apply to join every UCI commission, I think. Like, all of them. <laughs> you have to be a member, Daniel. Yeah, well, I can sort that out. But um, if I can get on the commissions, oh. You're thinking about Pat McQuay's whiskey budget again, aren't you? No, he buys shit whiskey. So, no. Anyway, uh, sorry, moving on from, from Dan's personal corruption. Um, I, I sort of have a follow-on question, though, Monique, because um, one of the things that's... Semi-interesting, I think, from from my particular point of view on this is that um, sometimes as a guy, it's it's a little um, I don't know. Difficult doesn't seem like the right word, but it can be a little um, uh, intimidating to to or or difficult to try and know what the right step for me as a guy is in terms of wanting to advocate on behalf of women's cycling. Um, you know, because I'm, I'm essentially an outsider to participation in that side of the sport and I can't necessarily accurately speak to what it's like for women. So, but at the same time, I really think surely, you know, a positive and supportive voice from, from a guy is still a good thing. So do you have any advice for, for the, the guys, um, who, who would like to be involved and to assist and participate in, in this side of improving cycling? Oh gosh, uh, my head's filled with many ideas where <laughs> where um, a male can contribute. Um, uh, similarly, with um, the importance the importance of diversity on commissions also applies to women's commissions. So we need men involved on women's commissions. So supportive male voice bringing a different perspective is critically important, and um, I I really value that having that perspective on everything we do and in all our discussions. So so there's there's a there's the first Monty Dan that you can check out the uh, women's commissions in your state. Um, cool. Or apply for the next national opportunity. Um, but there's many other things and, and one of the most simple things is to just um, step put it be a voice when when there are voices out there that are being sexist or appalling towards women and women cycling and and any supportive voice is is really important and a voice particularly a male voice in that space is is um is well heard when the conversation is led by men and in a blokey sphere so mm-hmm. so that's I, 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 yeah. I saw that through the total rush thing actually you know yeah. I was I was reading an article I think on Peloton cafe and there was like guys who were completely dismissing women. Oh, you just don't have a sense of humor about, you know, topless body painted models at a bike shop launch. And other guys coming in and going, hang on a minute. No, I can't bring my daughters in there. I don't yeah. want, I love boobs, but I don't want to look at them in, a, in in this context. I don't want women to be decorations. I want them to be equals. And that was a really interesting thing, watching people who could feel like they can, can just dismiss a woman. Oh, you're just some whining feminazi. But, you know, it's sad that they will listen to a guy, but it's it's just it was so encouraging to see that it was you know it's actually guys putting their foot down and go look this is Australian man we just don't do things like that here or we shouldn't yeah. do things like that here. 
Yep, absolutely. And that was that was really encouraging for me too the, in this past week when that whole um, uh, incident played out was that the people complaining um, and I, I received direct complaints and I was mm. receiving direct complaints from just as many men as I was from women. So... Um, I think that's I think that's really important there to have that have a male voice who who will stand up and not uh, allow um, this sort of behaviour and treatment of women to to occur in our sport because it affects everyone. It affects women, but yeah. it affects it affects our entire sport and our the perception out there that our sport is a is a sexist sport and it's we're we're not we're we're working really hard to. To change everything, you know, in in that space, mm. and so mm. anytime we sit back and allow um, that sort of talk to dominate our scenes, um, it hurts everyone, not just women. It mm. hurts everyone. Yeah, we had a similar thing because our I think you had your total rush thing in Australia, and in Britain we had, you know, the, the revelation that Bradley Wiggins at a charity fundraising event making some, you know, completely inappropriate suggestion to the the host and getting caught on camera a woman who was working and that was the depressing thing was seeing how many guys were lighten up guys it's only a joke and you're like hang on a minute it's not a joke if you're at work and your celebrity guest is asking you to perform a sex act on you you know in public in front of everyone else that's just i mean there's the technical the technical term for that is sexual harassment so, but you wouldn't. Yeah. But you can't imagine. I just can't even imagine a situation where I don't know, Ebby Stevens and Mariana Voss are at a, at a at a charity fundraiser, and you know they think that the guy is quite cute, so they ask. <laughs> it just doesn't. It's just not even going to happen, is it? It's it's mm. kind of it, it. And and that that makes cycling. Look, it's not. You know, if you've got then got a kid who's wanting to get into cycling, a boy or a girl. And then on the other hand, you've got athletics. Well, you go, right, yeah, athletics or rugby, they're the places to go, um, you know, because they're modern. <laughs> <laughs> well, rugby, maybe not. <laughs> I was going to say, you don't watch a lot of rugby, do you? But anyway, uh, moving, no, moving I... on. <laughs> um, so what's what's your future like, Monique? I mean, this has been a very busy and very full three years. Um I know that you're basically Superwoman, but I, I'm, can you keep this up forever? Um, well, I guess one of the, the realisations that I had this year is I can keep going on about getting more women in leadership positions or I could help facilitate that myself. Um, and, you know, we, can, we try and encourage and, and do professional development opportunities and all that sort of stuff, but um, one of the decisions that I made is that I'm, I'm going to step aside from the Victorian Women and Girls Commission to enable someone else to step up because um, one of my uh, growing fears is that when you have someone who's, who's, pretty, who's been pretty active and, uh, and is working hard in that space, I don't want to have the assumption that, that it's taken care of because we still, ne- we still have a long way to go. We still need to meet all our um, our targets for gender diversity and also cultural diversity now too, which we've committed to. So there's a lot there's a lot of opportunity to to um, to continue pushing and working for change. But it shouldn't just be me. It should be um, a whole a whole gamut of women from all sorts of backgrounds and experiences and skill and education. So um, so that's that's a decision that I've consciously made, even though. I will miss it terribly, but um, but it's also to enable other women to step up and be, become leaders. Is that is that you? You don't have to just just wink or nod or or something if this is right. But is that is that to prepare yourself for a run at the UCI presidency once Brian Cookson's overthrown? <laughs> that's, I think that's a bit too soon. It's only been a couple of months. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating rapid change. That's just, just me. But is it? I mean, is, it, it's, it must be an interesting time to be involved in Australia when it's cycling because you've got things like the Green Edge, you know, the Green Edge team, which is kind of putting down a real marker for how a professional team, you know, looks at its women, you know, has women and men alongside each other. And then you've got Tracy Gordry, obviously. Yeah. Um, being being vice president of the UCI and that must be and you know she was talking about more women's events as a priority and you know and 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 just 
and and also really interesting stuff about what you know what happens in the region in in the yeah. region of the world yeah. is it does it feel am i just being rose tinted because i love australia or is that does it feel like that from your side oh look the tone is definitely changing but um and having tracy is totally brilliant but it's also just one voice and for us to see real organisational change at the UCI, we, we need far more um, supportive voices. It can't just be Tracy in mm. the corner. Um, yeah, we need to flood uh, the commissions. Yeah, you know, we just can't have the one female burning bras. Not, I'm, I'm sure Tracy would never <laughs> um, would never say that, but that's been my expression. So I apologise to Tracy. But um, so we need we need more supportive voices um and even at australian level we we still need that to happen as well so um so it's it, it is you're right it is promising and and changes in the air but we still need to strengthen that voice and and have everyone sort of uh rowing in the same direction okay <laughs> rowing now oh jeez yep, yep. <laughs> we've expanded the sport cycle rowing okay. Careful, it'll get perilously, perilously close to triathlon if we're not careful. <laughs> oh, heaven help us all. Dun, dun, dun. Um, <laughs> so, I, 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 sorry, Sarah, please. I, I, I also wanted to ask you, because one of the things that made World Championships this year really good fun for me, um, having uh, was um, watching you there, because I felt like your role there, you were working for Canadian Cycling, weren't you? Uh, Canadian Cyclist, yeah. Yep. Yeah, because I love the fact, I mean, even like the fact that like you're out there doing a job and you were like pretty much the only person who was reporting on the junior women's race. Oh, no, there was you and Julia DeMaio, Ju- Julia DeMaio, um, who yeah. was doing a live, um, a live, a live update for one of the Italian sites. And that was really, really interesting to me because it felt like you were really making a difference there. Yeah, well, thank you. Small- <laughs> It wasn't intentional, but it was just, um, you know, I, I just had a task of um, get some post-race quotes. Um, so, you know, you, you try and sit around and, and watch the race in the meantime. I also had really significant morning sickness, so I didn't, re- I didn't want to walk too much. <laughs> and uh, so sitting in front of the computer and I just, I just, I couldn't, I had the, I was in the media centre with the big screen and I was just appalled that, the coverage in the media center where the coverage should be, you know, the bomb was, was terrible because they didn't have cameras following the race. They had set cameras um, in mm. certain sections mm. and that was it. So that, that appalled me. And then I, um, once following online, trying to get some more detail, I realized that no one else was, <laughs> yeah, there was, was covering nothing. it either. So, um, so I just started, um, you know, covering what I could see and the information that I had on hand from the media centre. Uh, in that classic Monique way, I saw a problem and so I fixed it. But it's one of those interesting things, though, I think, isn't it, about women's cycling that, um, you know, for, again, from the fan side, we, we're so used to so little information that something as simple as a, a, a regular series of Twitter updates can actually become really, really useful to us yeah. uh, and, and completely change our understanding of what's happening in a race. Um, and, and in some ways, I mean, that's kind of tragic, but in another way, I prefer to think of it as, you know, a really clear demonstration of one, how engaged the audience that there is right now already is, but two, also how low the barrier is to making a huge difference. You know, simple, simple broadcast coverage would, would revolutionize so many things. Um, I, I just think there's so much opportunity there for, for smart businesses and operators. So... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you're totally right about the opportunity there is to to fill in those gaps and we have the we have the mediums to do that through through Twitter and mm. um and organizations really should and I'm talking event promoters and um and even state and national and international bodies should really harness that and make the most of that rather than um you know, it's it's easy to to just put out the the time gaps and the race results, but it's also the other colour behind the race, which yeah. which really brings it to life. Even if you're sitting mm. Mm. at home at your computer late at night, trying to frantic frantically to get updates on your favourite yeah. riders. 
But you were so good at that with the with the junior girls. I mean, when you were talking about you know this, of that, because I, I also loved your video of um, riding the world's course <laughs> on a um, clunky hire bike with a baby seat. <laughs> 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 but you know the, the kind of the fact that you knew where it had been, and you were talking about you know what what was it was you know the, the smell of rubber from the brakes as they kind of come what that what that would be like. It, I really liked that. You really kind of made it come alive for me, and you know especially especially <gasps> when it had that ridiculous decision about the um you know to have the UCI commission on at the same time as the junior women rather yes. than on the day off. You know, it was so insulting to these young women who were racing and riding and sacrificing, you know, to to kind of not even to have to have them just so obviously thrown in a corner where there's going to be no video highlights, you know, no, no major, all the all the all the kind of major journalists are going to be watching that interminable, you know, snore fest of the the election rules deciding yeah and probably more of them talking about where the uci overlord twitter guy was than um than the race but But it's it it's not it's just reflective of the culture where this is how we've always run it and we we actually no one's ever pointed that out to us before so that's just part of the the change that hopefully we'll start to see in future that hang on we need to look after all our elements of sport and that means that when we meet and have our big you know media attracting events that it needs to be on when races aren't on and that is just that's that's just one of those things that we we didn't even realize because we've always done it that way yeah and it's just when you start unpicking it you need to when you get more people going hang on hang on why do we have to do it this way then you start seeing change from everyone so it's just yeah yeah. And I, I loved, I loved seeing the guy because Rye, Rye Sport had um, put the time aside both for the women's t- team time trial and also for the junior races, men's and women's, and yeah, you know, and they were really. I loved seeing them come out and be really cross about it. In yeah. you know, the, the, when when he was interviewed on Tuta Beachy, you're just thinking, yeah, that's that's really important. If if Rye, the head of programming for Rye, is being publicly outraged. <laughs> and you know and and actually people who are saying people who are watching your tweets and saying how exciting they were and how engaging it was because you know it's also it's the 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 young women are going to ride their socks off because this is their first chance and it's going to be it's going to be a good race you know it's going to be a good race whatever happens so it's it's kind of like it's a nice nice opportunity and also to be able to show this is this is if you build it look people have come Mm. (laughs) yeah and look it was the it was the only race where a break stayed away it was the only Mm. race where three riders came to the finish for the um for the you know vying for first place all the other riders all the other events came in on ones or twos Mm. So it really was a unique race, and and it was even though you know I was limited to in in where I could watch it. I you know they they'd climb Fisole and you know so I'd be down for ten minutes because <laughs> there was no no visuals on that. But mm. um, but from what I could see, it was it was really exciting, and those women re- those young women raced really aggressively, and um, it was it was really good to see. So. I was excited, so perhaps that's why my tweets were also excited. <laughs> well, I think I think that certainly helps, but um, I don't know. I just get the feeling, Monique, that maybe maybe we should be nudging you towards a secondary career as a as a commentator. <laughs> you know, I think that's a that's a worthy goal, don't you? Travel around and tell us what's going on in all these races. Uh, well, that that would be great if yeah, if if anyone would like to. To fund that, that would be terrific. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll make some inquiries. I'll see what we can get set up for you. I've, I've always been interested in the media side, um, and yeah, I've I've had this um, had this sort of working relationship with Rob Jones from Canadian Cyclists, where the deal is if I'm in town, I'll I'll help him out, and so I've been able to do that on five World Championships now, and I and I really love it. I love it. I don't think I'm very good at it, but I just love the. Um, <laughs> Being there and and having the opportunity to tell some of the stories behind the racing and I just yeah it's such a such a buzz it really is a cool thing uh, to everyone working in in media um, I am jealous but I'm also very untrained and, and <laughs> not not the greatest writer. Anyway. <laughs>
I try. Oh, truth in advertising. You had that great, but you had that great story on Canadian Cyclist about what it was like to be doing that, didn't you? That that kind of post that you had. Yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah. I really enjoyed that where where you were kind of where you were, and that adds extra color too because you know we can all kind of go on to cycling news and look at the results, but that just you know that that's the sort of thing that I like. I liked um, my friend Way Hewitt's um, photos where he was showing a lot of the backstage stuff and you know hearing what it was like talking to ride you know talking to riders who hadn't done as well as they wanted. Yeah. You know, those are the stories that I want to hear. Yeah. Yeah, and it's such an important event for everyone. Just the worlds mean so much. So it's the success stories are brilliant, but there's also the heartbreak behind it. And so that article that I wrote was about Joelle uh, Newmanville, who who, um, mm. who didn't have a great day despite um, showing some some really good form. And just the the devastation behind behind that was just was really heartbreaking and it was that's a really hard thing for um a pretend journalist to try and uh you know get get you know get some quotes from um when you when you your heart's breaking just as much for her so it was it was really really tough thing to do and um and I always always find that one of the hardest things about about working in that sphere is yeah um trying to because I know if that was me, I wouldn't want to talk to anyone. So I'm always <laughs> amazed when those those amazing athletes um, take a deep breath and 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 respond so well. So that's pretty cool. That is very <laughs> cool. So what's what's next for for Monique? Um, are you taking another big uh, break over Christmas, New Year's, going going cycling all around Victoria, or or anything exciting like that, or planning a world over overtaking, or or what? What's what's up next? Uh, I'm just growing fat. I'm about um, <laughs> I'm 22 and a week, a bit weeks pregnant. Um, so yeah, I'll literally will be growing fat over summer. <laughs> and, nice, um, nice time, nice time to be very fat. I think the Australian summer. Yeah, well, moving less is probably a good idea generally through our summer. Oh, <laughs> uh, look, pregnant women and extreme heat don't necessarily go well together. Yeah. But um, but yeah, um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to getting through the um, through the next next <laughs> couple of months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then uh, and then it's back to the the sleepless nights and um and altogether busyness of of being a, a new mum again, huh? Uh, yeah. So fingers crossed. I have my my first daughter was a was an absolute trooper. So I was able to um to continue uh, working and um and doing a lot of volunteering in in a few other spheres. So I had the first month I had less sleep. Not from the new baby, but from an event I was, I was running. <laughs> so, so fingers crossed. I know I'll say that now, and and this next baby will won't sleep a, a wink. But that's Ugh. all right. We'll we'll see. We'll play it by ear and see how we go. But um, yeah, I'm I'm fairly confident that I can still continue working in certainly the volunteering space, and um, yeah, and ho- hoping to continue on the charge for change. Cool. And if you could change three things in Australian cycling, if you could wave your magic wand, what would you do? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, look, um, uh, I think from an organisational perspective, I would um, I would improve the governance, uh, including better representation from women, and uh, and ex- and um, and also include in all leadership positions some. Some well-educated and experienced women across across the board. I, I don't really need to say well-educated and experienced because all women are. Um, but just just really commit to that uh, as a number one as a number one priority because I think organisations automatically improve when when you see that diversity. Um, we're lobbying at the moment for equal prize money at NRS National Road Series events. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, so it would be really, really good to see um, a positive and committed response to that. Um, that's not guaranteed at the moment, but um, we're continuing to hopefully see a really good outcome on that because I think that's that's another one of those uh, areas. It's it's very important for the riders, absolutely, but it's also really important for how we market our sport. If we are still seen to have different prize 
um, and rewards and recognition just because uh, one group of athletes are female, then I think that affects how we market our sport mm. to everyone mm. in our country. So uh, it's symbolic as well as um, as well as also a really good outcome for for the female riders as well. Yeah, yeah. So that's number two. I've got to think of another one. Um, oh. Uh, I guess, yeah, look, it's easy for me to say, and I and I said in a recent interview about uh, live television coverage, but um, and it's easy to say that without not having a handle on the financials. I do realise that, uh, you know, that it's the finance decisions that limit the ability to be able to provide that coverage, but we need to keep working hard at working around those issues to enable it to happen because it is the key to unlocking the sport in terms of um, getting more young girls and, and young families interested in the sport. It's the key mm. to getting mm. more sponsorship and more recognition for our female athletes so they, they can then uh, generate more um, you know support for their efforts. So it has this huge flow-on effect to everyone and so we need to think about that as, a, as an investment um, that not necessarily will provide a return in the first year, but it's also and and not necessarily provide a return to the person or the organisation that's putting up the money behind it, um, because the the positive flow and benefits are across the whole spectrum of the sport. So I know mm-hmm. I, I look it's it's a challenging discussion to have because it financially doesn't stack up at the moment but you need to think about it's that social return on investment that mm. uh you know the positive benefits across the whole spectrum of the sport not just um absolutely you know, whether and or not you can get a return on your tv rights but, uh, but i think i think there's also opportunities for smart packaging on different types of events too um like my mind goes to the, the new south wales gp events um which for the last two years have been on channel nine and they've shown the the women's races as well as the men's um, and just one's backed into the other. And I've been really impressed by that. And and to me, it seems clear that there's at least someone in in the organisation at Channel 9 who has has understood and made a decision that at least in that circumstance, um, you know, that, that, that they see value in doing that. And so I would hope that, that that's also someone with whom, you know, the appropriate people can continue on a conversation and look to expand those sort of things. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, uh, I mean, SBS do a really good job in this space and we need to be better supportive of SBS as well as well as Channel 9. We need to supply um, more stories and sources for stories on women's on the women's side of cycling, uh, which we tend not to do so well. So we need to work really hard on, on making sure that they've got material that helps everyone. If there's stories about women in cycling, mm. it helps everyone. So mm. we need to, and it's really hard. It's hard for me to say, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll accept your invite for an interview. Um, I'm, my role is behind the scenes, so I, I shouldn't be the front of of women cycling in Australia. It should be, it should be our athletes. Yep. So, mm. but sometimes that's hard for the athletes to think of that as well. They're thinking about their next race or their next event. It's very hard to say I'm going to put myself out there and and have a um, a piece about, you know, not necessarily on the bike. It's it's about the whole the whole spectrum of the athlete as well, which is intriguing and interesting. And that's what that's what other sports do well when they have good penetration in the media. It's not just the race results; it's the stories behind those race results. Mm. It's the stories off the bike as well, and that's ha- and for an individual. Um, that's hard to sort of consider yourself in that light that people might be interested in reading about that. But mm. but we need to sort of think about the good of the sport. It's a story, you know, I'm an athlete, it's a story about me, that's yep. going to be good for everyone. So so, so mm. what you're saying is that we um, we should have got Caroline Buchanan instead of you. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's, but that's one of the things I think is so interesting. The Aussies, though, like I think about someone like Chloe Hosking, who's the unofficial PR person for her team or, you know, yeah. or, um, you know, um, Gracie Albin's video diaries yeah. or, you know, or, or Tiffany Cromwell's, you know, little personal brand that she's got. And, internet, you know, or Lisa Jacobs. I mean, I think she was my yep. first Aussie. Yep. Lisa Jacobs and Vicky Whitelaw were my first 
Aussie cycling, you know, crushes just because, you know, Vicky, for at one point it was Vicky's blogs were the only news you got about inter- yeah. international races and they were so funny and yeah. so Australian and, yeah. you know, and Lisa Jacobs yeah. on her little trips abroad, just, yeah, just. Yeah. And that's, I, and that's the thing that you don't, you don't have to be, um, you know, going in front of a, a camera. There are so many different ways to put yourself forward and, <clears throat> excuse me, and, um, and yeah, it's with so many mediums on option. It's also Jesse McLean's uh, post-race tweets, which are always oh, sharp hilarious. And hilarious. And you know, Jesse may not be <laughs> as keen to put up video blogs of herself, but the fact that she's putting out these her quirky tweets um, is is highlighting what she's good at, and still helps everyone in the sport because yeah. every time she puts out a hilarious tweet, it gets retweeted. And more people um, are interested in her and her team, so it benefits everyone. Well, Jesse and Spratty, um, every day in the Giro Rosa, I was doing a live. In, you know, I was doing an interview with them for Podium Cafe, where I'd ask, you know, in, you know, take it in turns to ask one of them, you know, one of them each day, some questions about the race, and that was just, you know, just letting, just, just letting us do that engaging with fans, you know, yeah. like what is it like as a domestique to ride up those mountains? <laughs> <laughs> you know what horrible things you know what's the best thing about the day those are just they were so generous and yeah. funny and just mm. i loved you know i loved it they were, i was really grateful to them because they're just they're just so much fun awesome. yeah yeah oh well th- thank you thank you so much i mean if there's anyone who's um you know working in an organization around the world or around australia and they want to get in touch with you to ask you anything about the work of cycling victoria or all the work that you do in cycling australia how would they contact you um well um <laughs> they can send me an email or call me um <laughs> <laughs> so they can just call me. Uh, no, um, um, I guess, I guess you're on, on Twitter, aren't you? Sorry, you're on Twitter, aren't you? What, I'm what's on your Twitter, Twitter I guess, name? I've forgot, is... forgotten your name. Yeah, it's just Monique, <laughs> Monique Hanley at uh, yeah the Twitter at Monique Hanley. Um, yeah, um, yeah, I'm accessible. My contact details are available on the Cycling Victoria website. Um, but I can give those out to you. I, I figure if it's out there, then yeah, that's that's cool. We can and put a link. Always happy to get feed. I get a lot of feedback from um, all walks of the sport, and that's that's really good. And where I can, I try and um, try and act on some of the the feedback where I can. So um, always happy to uh, to talk and act on behalf of others, uh, given that I do have the opportunity to, to make some changes. And also I'm always happy to talk, especially other sports. Um, we learn so much from other sports. Our, for example, our beginner's guide to racing document was, uh, heavily influenced by golf. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, really? Wow. Yes. <laughs> so, so, so speed golf, I'm assuming, where they, they race around the 18 holes as quickly as possible or... <laughs> Yeah, that's the golf team time trialing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the um, golf golf Victoria a few years ago put out a beginner's guide for women in golf, and um, it's a beauty, beautiful little document. And we just we looked at that and thought, well, this is what we need for cycling. So, learning from what other sports are doing, um, yeah, can because we're all we're all in the same space. We want people into sport we want people enjoying their sport we want people feeling welcome so um so there's a lot of crossover so always happy to talk to other sports as well yeah awesome well thank you so much for making some time for us today Monique to to talk about you know a a great variety of things that have been going on and also you know thank you for the work that you've done and continue to do with Cycling Victoria Cycling Australia and and actually influencing around the world and demonstrating that these things can be done with with some passion and, and time um yeah thanks oh thanks thanks very much for allowing me to chat and for having me it's been great thank you cool well, um, I guess uh, this is the moment in the podcast where Sarah and I fumble through an awkward farewell. Yes, awkward farewell. Um, happy Christmas, Happy New Year to everyone. If you want links to anything we've talked about today, it'll be on our blog, prowomenscycling.com, and we'll put up videos of Monique cycling around the course on inappro- the world's course on inappropriate bikes and things like that. And we'll speak to you in the new year. 
Merry Christmas, everyone. Have a safe and happy holiday season. Thanks for joining us this year. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye.